Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Beyond the Bulletin, America's 12th least favorite podcast. I'm joined here Aww. by my friend. I know. I'm joined here by my friend, Stephen Lenahan, and I am Mike Gomer Gormley. We yep. represent. Oh, man. How many only ourselves. Only ourselves <laughs> to the parish. How many ministries do you think are under us now that you also take on liturgy and I took on youth ministry? I don't know. Does it even matter at this point? It, it, it does only because I wake up in the middle of the night screaming, what have I done? What have I done? Dear God, help me. What have I done? I usually just wake up and say what I think it was Pope. Oh, God, here we go. Said. Pope John the 23rd. <laughs> Lord, this is your church. You Giuseppe. deal with it. Giuseppe, whose church is this? Is this your church, Giuseppe? It's not your church? Okay, then roll over and go back to It's sleep. either that or let this cup pass for yeah. me. <laughs> One or the other. It I doesn't. am not ready to drink it. Yeah, look, all, all I really do is just uh, sign a few checks here and there. You sign checks. You send out emails. You no. yell at me in the hallway when I'm just trying Through to Through a mask, socially distant. Yes, all of the above. All, all the of above. the above. Speaking of coronavirus, how yeah. has your corona journey been? How has the quarantine been for your family? Uh, nice you know, family update time. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a marathon, definitely yep. not a sprint. And not I think sprint. we're, we're realizing that. So, uh, month one and back in March was absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, it was stressful. I think just that initial shock. Do you remember that we, we, our whole church went to spring break? Yeah. Our, and we never came back. Yeah. That's how it hit our community. Yeah. yeah. That's so bizarre. It is bizarre. And so, uh, so that happened. Then April, we got through Holy Week, and and actually April was a little bit more hopeful. I think got to yeah. be home for some yeah some neat little milestones with my boys. Oh, and then bike, bike riding, right? He taught himself how to yeah, ride a yeah, bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. AJ, AJ learned how to ride a bike, That's and now awesome. he's all over the place. Luke now is uh, got his a scooter like his older brother, which is hilarious because Luke has the shortest legs, which isn't saying much in my family, but he has the shortest legs. And uh, so, you know, seeing him at two and a half going down the street on a scooter is pretty awesome. <laughs> my kids, all four of my kids taught themselves how to rollerblade. Yeah. And uh, so and, then, and then our youngest, uh, he started walking. So Ooh. it like all happened, you know, within a month's time. So that was really cool. Holy week, even though we would have preferred to be here, it was cool. And then May kind of hit and it was insane because everything reopened at the parish yeah. and there was a lot of work. But there was we got, a lot of go, go, go. There was a lot of go, go, go. Um, but... You know, but it was okay. School was kind of winding down, which was good. Um, and and now June is hit, and June has not been fun. No. June has been, actually, I think June may have been the hardest of these four months uh, for a variety of reasons, everything going on in the world, uh, the reality that now things are kind of like spiking in our area again. And so there's, you know, there's this mentality of, of shutting everything down again, and that's stressful. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that what makes it stressful is that, you know, in Texas, we weren't really hit that hard. We weren't first. hit initially. Yeah. So now that this is kind of like rearing its ugly head again, it's this realization, that whole term that everyone started to hate back in May, which is, oh, the new normal, and everyone yeah. kind of made fun of it. Oh, we said that so much. Oh, my gosh. But now it's I like, said that so much. Yeah. I hate him. I would look in the mirror, and I'd be like, don't you dare say that again. <laughs> and then 20 minutes later, I'm like, so we're just looking forward to the new normal. Yeah. Uh, what is it going to be? Yeah, so I think this month has been really, really difficult. Yeah. Not, I don't know if it's been difficult on my boys necessarily, other than yep. the fact that they see it difficult on me and my wife. Mm. Um, and it's difficult because... I just kind of was thinking that by now we would have had it all figured out. Like the mass thing was actually 
sorry, mass, M-A-S-S. The math was great. Yeah, yeah. two plus two still equal to yeah. four. That part, although a lot of parishes were, that was the other thing, all of May and early June, we were answering phone calls from parishes that were asking how we did it. And that actually, in hindsight, was not the hardest thing to figure out. Nope. The hardest thing, and, and we still haven't figured it out, is how do you create community and parish life when we still are not allowed to do that? And I think yeah. that some ministry leaders have even been reaching out and they're saying, you know, hey, can we do this? Can we do that? And we've kind of been like, oh, yeah, we might be able to accommodate that. We might be able to do that. And then yeah. we get a letter from downtown that's like, no, no, no. Like, just because you can open up the church for mass yeah. does not mean you can have classes and events and meetings. Yeah, and that was even further oh, exacerbated yeah. as things have started to spike here uh, in the Houston area and, and across the state of Texas. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's tough, man. I'm, 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 uh, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Physically, some of that has nothing to do with what's going on. <laughs> some of that's just having three little kids. Uh, <laughs> but I'm tired spiritually. Mm. And I miss, I, I miss seeing this campus full. Full. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. And, and, and you've even heard me, and not to disclose what happens in, in meetings that we can't disclose on here, but, like, I will say this. Like, you've, you've heard me in meetings, like, pushing the envelope, yeah. you know, being kind of like the why are we not, why, 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 like, and I think that, uh, you know, what, what we're realizing is that I'm not the only one saying why. Yeah. Uh, you're not the only one saying why. A lot of our parishioners are saying why. Why can't we do this? Why can't we start having Bible study? Yeah. And one of the things that you say when you say, why can't we do this, even social distance, all this stuff, is you follow that, that up with, because we're going to lose a generation of parishioners. Yeah. We're going to lose a generation of Catholics who don't have those important, crucial touch points with the faith. And we don't just mean... First communion, confirmation, baptism. We mean all the little things. It's that the happen. life of communion. Yeah, yeah. The pancake breakfast and the fish fries and all the things that went into youth group being church. Yeah. yeah, the summer camps. Summer camps for youth ministry helped to form. Yeah, that was our a, identity. That would as set a you up for the next year because yeah. you would know kind of who your your leaders were in the youth group and the yeah. Just, all those kids going to the pines that yeah, got, the, you know, it's all that extra things. opportunity for discipleship with the yeah. kids. Um, so yeah, I, I think, uh, I'm just kind of sad about it. June. To be honest, I, I hate to convey that cause I feel like all we ever <laughs> do is talk about sad. it's all sad. I mean, there's hope, you know, and I think that the other thing too is, um, uh, our priests have actually been a source of hope. Uh, maybe not so much, um, publicly all the time just because you know I, I don't know for me like watching father kingsley and hearing him speak about the reality of we can't solve the world's yeah. problem right now all we can do is love our neighbors here at saint anthony's and in the woodlands yeah. that we can reach and i think that um there's a there's a, a risk and a danger that that maybe we as church has perpetuated over the years of thinking that like the institution of the church has to be the the way that we evangelize and the reality is right now that's not possible yeah. like the way that we evangelize yes we can do you know podcasts yes we can do live stream masses yes we can do all these things but it has to come i think through people evangelizing first their own families, making a commitment to prayer daily, weekly in the home mm-hmm. 
is number one. And then secondarily is, okay, we can't meet in big groups here, but who can you reach? Who is in your kind of network? Is it your neighbors? Is it, who is that that you can create community, community with in your home or via Zoom or whatever it might be um, or whatever platform you choose to use? Uh, that's where we're at. And I loved, we, we heard Father Tom, we were, you and I were talking about this with Father Tom earlier, and he said, you know, the reality is right now the church is reinventing itself, not just St. Anthony's, but the church globally is having to reinvent itself and anytime you experience, you know, a rebirth, it's painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what some of maybe I'm personally feeling and that maybe some of the parishioners that we've heard from are feeling. Um, it's it, it, This is not going to be an easy process for anyone. Um, right, right. And, and just we speaking, don't have all the answers. Right. Just speaking along with that, one of the interesting things that's happened, like my favorite part about Mass is – signing people in, like welcoming people, because I get to have FaceTime with almost every person. Oh, since we started, yeah. Yeah, with the the line and the registration people and the non-registered. I get to have FaceTime with people that I otherwise never get to see, or if I see, it's from across the building. And to see, um, one thing that gives me hope in the midst of this is seeing the same faces and the gratitude, like, yeah, it's annoying that we have to wear masks. And, you know, we're there an hour before we stay an hour after cleaning and sanitizing and wiping down. We're a thousand degrees, especially if you have a bushy beard that pokes out of your mask at every direction. We're a thousand degrees in the mask. We hate the mask just as much as anyone else. Masks, not the mask. Uh, <laughs> whoopsie. Um, but the idea of this is like, as people are coming, the weird way that we are forced to kind of negotiate with the quarantine and all this stuff is. I have had a richer experience of welcoming people in a mass. Mm-hmm. People, for the most part, overwhelmingly, the people who are there show up early and leave when they're supposed to. <laughs> like they leave. Instead of people like treating mass like I'm going to come in, get the Eucharist, and then immediately leave. Yeah, like, yes, we do have yeah, to Yeah, no dismiss. one's leaving early right no now. No one's leaving early. It's There's, amazing. What do they call it? The Judas Shuffle? The or Judas something? Shuffle, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's been fascinating how that unfolds. And then you have another group of people who still don't feel safe come into mass and that's fine. I don't want to ever pressure anyone that they should uh, feel like they need to come to mass. But there's a point that you said that we've mentioned several times on here that I want to harp on today. And that is what we are witnessing in our inability to really embrace parish life. We can't let parish life die. Parish life has to be in our neighborhoods. It has to be in our homes. It has to be in our workplaces even. It has to be where we are. And I think the fundamental notion is there is a a difficulty for many Roman Catholics to buy into the Catholic and biblical doctrine of the church, which is because we are in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are the church, just as much as that building is the church. And if we only conceive of the building as the church, and that's it, we don't think we are going to church unless we're physically in the church building. The tension is it's both and, not either or. And so when I'm at home with my family, and as the father, I'm leading prayer, 
I'm bringing my people. And, you know, it's never perfect. People say, like, oh, it's fine for you. You're a church guy. My kids are sociopaths, God bless them, when it comes to prayer. <laughs> my kids are so sweet until we sit down for prayer. Oh, my Then gosh. my one son, who is the nicest kid on the face of the earth, suddenly doesn't have a spine, and he, like, slithers, and he, like, can't sit up straight, and he's all over the yeah. place. He becomes Gumby. He becomes Gumby. Yeah. That's a reference for the old Yeah, people. my middle one, he likes to see how quickly he can do the sign of the cross. <laughs> it's like a competition for him. My other one, uh, somehow, every time we pray downstairs, has to go to the bathroom every single time in the middle. Can but I, but he also it. has to get a glass of water. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's so funny. It's funny to us, and it's incredibly frustrating to me. But the idea at its core is we can't let the light that St. Anthony's has been in many of our lives. Like, I'm not just up here leading you know doing some paperwork and and stuff like in a normal pre-quarantine life i participate in a ministry i lead about five ministries i'm educating which is the main thing that i do i now run youth ministry and we can't do anything here and so you have this 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 uh i i feel like june was like a, a i'm a jilted lover right like <laughs> Like, like I showed up at the Go altar. On. I showed up at the altar, and June didn't show up. We had so many promises. We made plans, June. We made plans. Yeah. And June didn't show up. Right. Like, all of a sudden, we think, okay, what's well, good? It's good. We did the quarantine. We did the thing. Now we're gonna start opening up. And then it's like, wait, what's been happening since Memorial Day? Oh no. Oh no, June, don't go. Don't go. I need you, June, baby. Ah! And I feel no. Like, not feel only like not robbed. only did she leave you at the altar. I feel like she she. Flipped you the bird. No, 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 no. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. No, what she did was, I didn't know this, she opened up a bunch of credit cards in my name yes. and maxed them all out. There you go. <laughs> so now, not only am I not married, I'm in deeper in debt. And yeah. you know what? I'm a sad man because you look around. So this is this is the thing. Like, we cannot, we cannot, and for any time being, have any meetings other than liturgical sacramental stuff on campus. Right. And when we realized that, we all were like, Oh, it's not just that we have to social distance. We we literally can't meet. So I had to send out a mass email yesterday about my inclusion crew, and I just said, you you can't come on campus. I know we're preparing you for a sacrament, but you can't come. So all these people who are good Protestants who want to become Catholic or are looking into the Catholic Church, all of a sudden now they're going to be looking at my face on a Zoom call. You are the face of the church. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but the idea of that is, like, it's so, it's so sad because, as you know, like, doing this is much easier for me than a Skype conversation. Right. Or Zoom. I feed off the energy of the people in the room, it, whether that is just Jay watching me through these cameras and switching up all this stuff or us having a cover. I feed off that energy to stare. Because here's the other thing. You have to stare into a camera, not at their eyeballs on the screen. Right. You know, and they're not looking in their camera. They're looking at the screen. And so it's so frustrating. But but we have to do this because we need to keep this going. We can't let the fire die. Yeah, so what do you say about someone yeah. that's like, I refuse to come to St. Anthony's as long as the mask is required? Yeah. I yeah, mean, a lot of people say that, I have friends that are, are, are dead set against it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I do too. And, and my thing with that is I get it. Like, I don't like wearing a mask. But what, and this is the question I would pose to those people, what is more important right now? Your sense of, you know, personal freedom or preserving the institution and still coming apart to be a part of the community if you have the ability? Yeah. In my mind, and, and I think Father uh, Kingsley said this at the 1 p.m. Spanish Mass uh, this past weekend, the mask is a small cross to carry. If Christ 
walked in here and said, pick up your cross and follow me, you would do it. I, I would hope, I would think. Right now, maybe that cross is just putting on that mask for an hour to be in communio, communio and be in mass, socially distant, the whole yeah. thing. I, I don't know. I think there, there's, a, there's a reality and a balance we have to strike in our minds as Catholics in order to preserve our parish and, and all parishes, not just us. Yeah, and I will say the people that come to Mass, you know, some people will make comments like, oh, when are we going to take these things off? And, I, you know, and I'm, in, I'm in agreement like, oh, my gosh, this thing is just so uncomfortable. But I had about an 80-something-year-old woman come up to me, and she said the sweetest thing. She said, by requiring the masks, you've enabled me to come to Mass. Mm. And you yeah, know what that, it reminded that me of? We had of? a grandmother that stayed out in her car one day, 80-year-old oh, yeah. grandmother. First weekend. First weekend, she waited out in her car to see how, if people it, were and her wearing kids masks gave her the all and socially distanced, and then they, yeah. they gave her the all-clear, and she came into Mass. And you know what it reminds me of? You know what that, that grandmother reminds me of? Hmm. Batman. Batman Begins. No, not Batman Begins. I thought you were going to give, like, an example from Scripture, but go on. You ruined the moment. No, yeah. No, no, no. Batman the, <laughs> Batman, the Dark Knight. Now I can see why June left you at the altar. <laughs> yeah, June, come back, baby. <laughs> I'll do anything. Uh, pay off my credit card. Um, no, Batman the Dark Knight Rises, the one with Bane. Arr, success has defeated you. How do you suppose I eat dinner? <laughs> so at the I end of the movie. I was born into it, Don. <laughs> Every time I do my Bane impression, it immediately becomes Sean Connery from the movie Finding Forrester. <laughs> oh, success has defeated you. Punch the keys. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> Jay, can we get a graphic for this part of the podcast so that those who don't know who Bane is, they can see? Yeah. Okay. I digress. Go on. So in the, in the third movie of the Christopher Nolan brilliant Dark Knight trilogy, in the Dark Knight Rises, he's going to hand the mantle off to a police officer whose last name, whose nickname, middle name is Robin, right? And he says, uh, I just want a piece of advice. And he's like, what's That's that? Really good. Yeah, you're welcome. And he goes, uh, <laughs> he says, wear a mask. And he's like, I'm not afraid to stand up to evil. And he goes, the mask isn't for you. It's for those you love. And then the scene cuts out, right? And I just thought, oh, how, how appropriate, how appropriate. <laughs> the mask isn't for you, it's those you love. And so I just think of, like, that's my sunshine and rainbows yeah. version of when I'm 900 degrees wearing that thing and I pull up the bottom and I go, whoo, I am hot as I step outside. Yeah. Um, but other things like, okay, let's, let's refocus. I want to show this book, this book right here. Also, really quick. Yeah. H-E-B, I think, is now requiring masks again. Yeah, they're going back to it. And so is Kroger. So is my gem. Okay. Here's the thing about that. Stevie, you're getting so defensive right no, now. No, 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 no. I, I just thought about this. Like, if you want food, you're going to put that mask on to feed your family to go into H-E-B. You may not like it, but you're going to do it, right? How much more important is the bread of life? Well, the only I, I can hear the objection. Yeah, there's, of H-E-B's course. H-E-B's got be. curbside. <laughs> well, that wouldn't be a, an abuse of I know, uh, that's H-E-B. One thing. I, I have it would been be on, an abuse of the sacrament for us to do that. I have told so many parishes. I was like, listen, if you don't have the staff to execute a mass weekend, don't rush. The don't last rush, thing we want to yeah. do is abuse the blessed sacrament. It's like, no, we'll put it in dis- Pez dispensers and fire it into people's mouths. Uh, and I'm like, gosh, people are coming up with the scariest things. But that being said, yeah. uh, I want to introduce this book. Okay. Uh, it's a good book. I read half of it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know the ending, and you're already recommending it. What if the ending well, is not, horrible? It's not a no- it Turns out the butler did it. Uh, no, it's called. <laughs> <laughs> it's by Leah Labresco. You might know Leah Labresco if you're a fan of Word on Fire Bishop Barron Ministries because he has uh, her as one of the fellows, Word on Fire fellows. And this one's called Building the Benedict Option. Building the Benedict Option. Ooh. Now, the for those Benedict of you, Option. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, a guy named Rod Dreyer. He was a 
evangelical Protestant who became Catholic and then uh, the sex abuse scandals became Orthodox. Um, he wrote a book called The Benedict Option, which was essentially, it's not, people always interpret it a little bit too quickly as saying it's a retreat from the world and hide in our Christian community. What he's saying was our Christian communities themselves are in such radical disorder, we cannot bear witness to the world about the saving truth of the gospel. Mm. So his thing take is- Take care of your own house before you take care of others. It, well, yes, and his, his point would be even more that when we take care of our own house, that's what brings in others mm. into our house. So it's like, it's not just that, like, I'm worrying about how me and your relationship is, and that'll magically, then I can go and deal with the heathen, right? Right, it's right, right. that by concentrating on building our house and fixing our house, that's how we make room for the heathen pagan sinner, right? That's how we, we build the place for the prodigal to return. So he wrote that book, and it was somewhat controversial. I listened to the audio book, and I was like, wow, all the controversy I've read out there literally does not take this book seriously. You know, they just take the title and maybe the first paragraph. But she wrote this. It's not a sequel per You mean they didn't read past the first 120 characters? (laughs) Yeah, probably not. Uh, My guess is they didn't read half the book like I did this one. Uh, He said... You read a lot of books. It's okay. I do. I do. I'll give you a pass. I'm a busy man. (laughs) But Building the Benedict Option, A Guide to Gathering Two or Three Together in His Name. And uh, Rod Dreyer wrote the foreword. Leela Bresco, again, wrote the book. And I think it is... is, It oscillates between a couple things that I think we need to always hold in front of us. It is very easy for, especially the church at the parish level, that when it speaks to people, it generally speaks to families. It speaks to married couples and families. And it doesn't always speak to the older single, the younger single, the, um, you know, the, the, the woman or man who are coming with their spouse is a non-believer, so they're shouldering the entire religious burden by themselves, or the teenager who comes without their parents because their parents don't believe. And so I think she does a great job, speaking as a young adult, she does a great job in saying our notion, when we think of like, how do we form our lives? We don't form it around our friends. We like our friends. We don't form our lives around our friends. We form it around our families, right? I'm going to, you know, we're engaged. So I'm going to go move to the city where your new job is, or I'm going to do this and we're going to do that. We're going to set up our lives. We're going to build our lives together. So what often happens is the single people get left out. So I think she does an excellent job in building a framework of what is family that incorporates our neighbors who might be single, our neighbors in the pew, not just next door. But then she says this really clever line. She quoted um, an article. I can't remember where it comes from. But he said, as America begins to decline its population, mm-hmm. and as we just, we don't even replace ourselves with two kids, so we go from a four-family fam- household to a three-family household, mom, dad, one kid, we're not just depriving, as that becomes the norm, we're not just depriving that kid of a sibling, right? We are depriving that kid of also four aunts or uncles mm-hmm. and also 12 cousins, mm-hmm. right? And you, you begin to see like the unfolding of the biblical notion of family. This is why you can say that Jesus had I, brothers and sisters because the word brother and sister and the word cousin, they were the same word, right? I can, I can relate to that because when, you know, I've, I've got older siblings, but because my parents were divorced and I was the youngest and grew up kind of distant from you know, my two older siblings for sure. I mean, what's the gap in age? Uh, so there's five years in between all of us. So my sister's 15 years older than me. Then my brother's mm-hmm. 10 years older than my other brother's five years older. The one that's closest in age, we did grow up together, um, but very different in personality. And so, you know, yeah. particularly once he got to middle school and high school, I mean, it was just, you know, yeah, when I, you're 13, he's out of the house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, uh, and so when Ann and I met and, uh, 
you know, she introduced me into her family. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Um, the cast of thousands. Yeah, and it was <laughs> this thing, and it was really important for her. That was she even said that like the first weekend that I met her family at the the family lake house in Alabama, that they. Uh, she she would say that she that was when she knew that I was the one because she saw how I could fit in with the family. Now, all that to be said, that <laughs> was the dating and the honeymoon period, right? Then I'm actually in the family, yeah. and they all hate you. It, yeah, they hate me. <laughs> no. no, I mean, there oh, was, why'd you marry this guy? <laughs> no, there was there was growing pains and, and a realization yeah. of how do you navigate so many because her family's huge and and they do they count the cousins. Her dad's the oldest of eight. Her mom's the youngest of seven. Her grandfather was the youngest of ten. They're all Italian. They're, you know, like it's <laughs> no, well, it. not I on one side, it. but like it's it's huge. And so, and they do count. Like her cousins are more like siblings. Do they ever call when they meet up for family reunions at Alabama? No, but I think we might now. <laughs> <laughs> no. I was thinking, I was like, what's some fancy catch no, word for I Italians actually, in Alabama? At one time I called him Bama Guido, and then I think they took offense to that. <laughs> so I don't think I'm ever going to say that again. Then. <laughs> someone started punching me in the back of the yeah, head. Yeah, it was really weird. I, I no, I, I, but, but so so the interesting thing, and I've learned this uh, in the, you know, the, the few years we've been married and, and uh, through growing pains of moments where someone got on my nerves, I got on someone else's nerves, whatever. You? Whatever. Uh, yeah, me. Um, <laughs> so through some of those experiences, Especially where in a family that's grown so large over the generations, now yep. you have a situation where truly in, in my wife's family and even in mine, like you have a global perspective, politics, religion, whatever within that family. Um, and so trying to be that beacon of, of hope and, and the Catholic roots of the family sometimes yep. isn't easy. It's funny that you say that. But it's me- worth it. Yeah. And, and sometimes it, it, it hearkens to swallowing you know, my pride on what I, you know, have come to know is the truth through the Catholic faith and recognizing that I have to be cunning as a serpent, gentle as a dove and how I present that <laughs> truth. And, and, uh, and it's worth it because I love those people. Stephen, if there so, is one phrase that summarizes mm-hmm. you, I think gentle as a dove would definitely be it. Gentle as a dove. Look at you. Oh, dove-like. Oh, oh. No, anywho, I had a, I had a saying Did that I Did you just... Hoot like a dove at me. I, well, that's what that's what it sounds like when doves cry. <laughs> Good night, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week. No, uh, <laughs> and I also don't think anyone's ever described me that way. Yeah, I know, I know. That was it was an ironic joke. Um, yeah. Can I but, describe you? <laughs> now I'm not going to go on. Pleasantly plump. Um, no. no, the uh, no. There is a great line from this Israeli pray, uh, playwright that she brings in this book where you said. The family gets so big, it's like a global perspective. And she yeah. said, when you, the, the Israeli playwright, she wrote this play about this girl named uh, Mikel. And she, I don't know how you say the feminine form in, <laughs> in Hebrew, but she was so frustrated because she's a jilted lover, which is probably why the June as a jilted lover stuck in my head. But she was so angry and frustrated. And she said, well, why are you, and she's like, I just want to get married. And I, I want, you know, she's praying to God. And she's like, I want this now. You know, I, I'm not canceling my wedding. A groom will show up. And someone said to her, why do you want this so bad? And she just touched down deep into that side of her, and she began, like, just pouring herself out. And she said, because I'm sick and tired of always being the guest at Shabbat. I want to host it. I want people to come to my house. It was all the things that when family is the nuclear family, like, yeah. you tend to, to lose sight of that. But then the playwright writing about that scene, uh, she said, you know, it's amazing because when 
when you define family as just the nuclear family, mm-hmm. that then that means your worldview is the size of your living room. But when you include aunts, uncles, Ooh. cousins, it becomes the whole world. Yeah, it's your your worldview becomes the whole world because that many people can't be confined into one space. Well, and you know what's true about that is that, uh, and I've seen this over the years with with Anne's family is that um, because of that, so many people want to be around the DiGiorgio family. Yeah, like it's I do. I've never even met them. Yeah. I want to party with them. <laughs> All the stories you tell, I want to party with them. He's hanging out with the papal nuncio. Like I want to party. Well, he's a deacon now. I mean, that was yeah. just that was totally by coincidence. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and and also the other thing that it's done for me, it has as the youngest sibling in a broken family mm. who didn't understand what that family at one point looked like when there yeah. was a nuclear family. It's healed that part of my life for mm. me to be able to go back and appreciate my siblings and appreciate my mom and appreciate yeah. my own family. And Anne has been so amazing at, you know, it's easy for us to get sucked in and drawn into her family events because there's always one. I mean, there's like one every other week. There's somebody's yeah. birthday, anniversary, getting married, having a baby, whatever. It's fantastic. I, I, I don't, <laughs> it's fantastic. Sounds like those are yeah. a bunch of fantastic. I, I don't usually attend the ones uh, where the baby's being born. <laughs> yeah. but Guys, I'm here. I brought streamers. <laughs> And white cloth. <laughs> but, but she's been so good about in our marriage appreciating like mm-hmm. and 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 supporting as my family has kind of healed and, and started to have some not so like now I'm the odd man out. I'm the only one that doesn't live near my family. Oh yeah. Uh they all live in Nashville, which I never as a kid thought that that would ever happen, that my family would Isn't all end up in the same city. Yeah. yeah. And so now like we're able to go into my family and she is so good about making sure that I prioritize my family as much as we prioritize her family. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think the more, the, the bigger you make your family, the more you open people up into that, that's building up the church. And that is so crucial for what's going on right now. So a great example of this I saw at the beginning of this whole quarantine thing when school was still in, there was a yep. neighborhood. I don't know where it was in the U.S., but there was a neighborhood, a block of people, and they all committed for 14 days to staying, you know, quarantined at home. And then what they decided was that once they had done that, they took turns so that the parents could work, and each house hosted a subject uh, for each day. So one house was the history class, one house was the gym class, oh, one house wow. was the music class. And these, you know, this group of whatever, 10, 15 neighborhood kids, they hopped each hour to a different house for their classes to get through the school day, freeing up the parents to be able to get through their work day. But every parent had a, a role to play based on their wow. skill set. Wow, wow, wow. And I was like, that's an incredible example of what I imagine neighborhoods used to be like for like our grandparents and our parents back yeah. in the day. And that's a where little, you knew your neighbor. Yeah. And yeah. you borrowed eggs and cups of sugar right. from them. And, and that, that's where the opportunity lies in all of this right now. Instead of getting frustrated that I can't, you know, have Bible study right now in a classroom in the parish life building, maybe it's time that I have a Bible study in the cul-de-sac in my neighborhood with people that aren't Catholic and just kind of hear their worldview and share mine and maybe I learned some things, and maybe they learned some things from me, and it can be a beautiful thing. You know, it's funny you say that because my mom does that. In does our in our neighborhood, when uh, my parents live in Spring, right off of uh, Hardy Toll Road, and in that uh, in that neighborhood that's right there, a whole bunch of uh, people the exact same age moved in, people who were almost empty nesters to new empty nesters, right? So I was the youngest. I was 16. I was the only one in the house when we moved there. And that's how I got started in Life Teen here. And the neighbors were, because everyone was new and the neighborhood was brand new, people were constantly like, 
oh, there's a new neighbor. Let's go meet them. Oh, they have young kids. Let's go meet them. So we knew everyone up and down our street, that, that one street right. that, that, that they live on. And it was amazing because there's a Muslim family, a bunch of evangelicals, a bunch of non-practicing Catholics, a handful of Catholics, like all across the board. And my mom's like, why don't we just do a Bible study? Yeah. And, and they would all come. Yeah. And she would take, take out Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch's uh, Ignatius study Bible, and they would go through it. And my mom still does that, okay, a little bit different today. Now my mom and dad are, you know, very high-risk individuals in their 70s. But um, when, when you begin to see, like, the Catholic call of evangelization, and you really understand that the gospel is for all, right, something transforms within you that says it's not the priest's job to evangelize. It's not what the homily the homily is not for people necessarily. The homily is not for outsiders. It's for insiders who right. need the gospel opened up to them. My life, I'm supposed to come and be fed by this beautiful gospel and then go out into a cold and unbelieving world. Right. And the idea is now I'm a light. I'm lit on fire with the grace of Christ at the Eucharist. So now I can be the light and I can be the light. But what we often do is we say, okay, Father, you're the evangelist. And the priest is like, I just do the sacraments. You're the evangelist. Right. And the evangelizing never actually gets done. Here's our opportunity. In the midst of, you know, uh, there's a lot of fear. If you have neighbors who are elderly, just get their phone numbers. Yeah. And that's what we're doing on our street. Hopefully we can do that. I've yet to meet a decent person that lives in my neighborhood. Just kidding. Jay lives in my neighborhood. I thought I'd say. <laughs> and Mary lives in my neighborhood. <laughs> okay, so I just pulled up uh, Planning Center people on our phone, or Ooh. on my phone. That is our church database, right? Yes. There's 35,000 individuals in there that at some point in the last two years have come through this parish. Okay, And that's now, after Tracy has burned through the list. And right. So them. I'm going to take 5,000 off of that. Okay, 30,000. Because 000. those would be people that have come for one time. thing. Not really. So we'll, we'll say 30,000. If every person that at some point has come through this parish for mass, for a sacrament, for Catholic school, for a funeral, whatever, that lives in the woodlands, invited four other friends to a Bible study. Now, of course, there's some age things, right? My two-year-old's not going to do this, but let's just, <laughs> for the sake of... Dad, I want to host yeah. uh, Exegesis on Hebrews. Right, but just for the for the sake Again. of it. Okay, so we'll, we'll increase it to five people. What's with you, kid, in Hebrews? Gosh, if, over and, and over. If every, if every parishioner did that and reached out to five people and evangelized five people in the woodlands, yeah, that would be more than the population that, of the woodlands. That would be the woodlands, yeah. Yeah, five people. One, two, three, four... Boom. The Your fingers were a little weird when you did they that. <laughs> yeah. So you gotta use the the pleasantly plump, chubby palm to keep that finger. Yeah. Down. So there's there's your challenge. Nothing good happens. That's, yeah. that's the challenge. I Find five people. Five people. I don't care who they are. Maybe it is someone in your household. We're talking the Martins. Not. We're talking the Muckentallers. <laughs> we're talking the Beatties, and that's it. <sighs> yeah. No. Not not the people that you're already comfortable with. And here's the thing. Evangelization does not mean that you have to go and tell them the third secret of Fatima. It means you invite them into a relationship with Christ, whatever that looks like at whatever baseline. Maybe no, it's it, through it, serving them. It starts with loving them. Love, Love them. your neighbor yeah. as yourself, full stop, not unless until they convert. Right. Well, or yeah, un, yeah, yeah. unless they convert. But no, that's Yeah, what I mean by that is don't go up to them and, and knock on the door and say, have you met the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior? <laughs> that's not what I mean. I mean... But if you want to do that, let me know. I'll give you some materials. <laughs> you can do that. Some of you probably will. Uh, 
Hi, I'd like to interest you in some literature. Yeah, there's nothing that the world has what is needed. What's catcher in the rye? <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing that the world has needed more right now than hope. And yeah. that that is definitely the lesson I've learned from this June for myself, for our community. We all are in desperate need of a savior. Um, we have one. We just have to remind remind ourselves, ourselves, call upon his name, and share the love that he gives us with our neighbors. So, you know, one of the um, phrases uh, or titles of and God. It's not easy. But it ain't. It ain't. One of the titles of God in the Old Testament is refuge uh, for sinners. And when you think of, of Christ as our refuge, there's a um, wonderful prayer called the Anima Christi. It's a very popular Eucharistic prayer. And one of my favorite parts of that, he says um, within the prayer, within your wounds hide me from the malicious enemy, defend me. And I love that idea of like, I am taking refuge, not within myself, within my wealth, within my connections. I'm taking refuge within the wounds of Jesus that purchased for me so great a salvation. And this notion that taking refuge in the Lord means my home can become a refuge for the weary. So um, the the uh, is it offensive to call kids latchkey kids? Is that an offensive term? I don't think it's offensive term. But you know, what? have you ever heard of that phrase, a latchkey kid? It means like the kids have a key that they wear uh, around their necks, you know, and they take it off when they go home because no one's home to welcome the kid, right? Oh, so yeah. they're home alone. For oh, how sad! I was a latchkey kid. Yeah, you were. Uh, my, my mom worked the night shift. Oh, oh. that's a dove crying right there. <laughs> she did. She worked from like. Yeah, it was that's rough. That's rough. rough. And so there's a kid, you know, two kids down the street from us that until the quarantine, they were latchkey kids. Right. And so and the the amazing thing was they were um, it was very easy for them to be gruff with the kids. I wouldn't say that they were bullies. They weren't bullies at all. They were like funny going humor a little too far, like in their roughness. Yeah. And uh, they were compensating. for Right. But when I walked down the streets or any one of the dads walked down the streets, uh, the street in front of their house they would immediately come up to talk to us. And at, oh, first, yeah. at first, I was, like, weirded out by it. Yeah. Like, hey, did you, see, uh, did you see your daughter? Like, she came, like, they would say, like, nothing important. Like, hey, your daughter walked down the street, and you're like, okay, thanks, man, I appreciate it. Yeah. And then I would look, and then the youth minister that can never die within me kicks in. <laughs> and I'm like, is that your drum set? Is that your weights? Are you weightlifting? Oh, no, that's my mom's, but she's never really here to do it. But, yeah, that's my drum set. I'm teaching myself. And they would just... Like, it was like they longed to open up. Yeah, and my, even with their peers, though, they were, like, rude and dismissive. Yeah. But in that, you could sense this holy longing. Well, because of job losses, they're gone. And so you begin to see this, and you're like, oh, no, oh, no. Like, here, these are opportunities for hope and healing, to be a refuge in a time of disarray. Maybe you need a refuge. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will never forget, and maybe there's a dad out there listening to this, and you you, you know your kids are in your home and that's great, but you know other kids in the neighborhood where that's not the case. My confirmation sponsor was my best friend's dad. I, and I still keep in touch with him. Like I loved hanging out with my best friend and I loved it even more when his dad was around. His dad was, and his dad is probably one of the reasons why, you know, I'm, I'm still Catholic to this day because when I asked him to be my confirmation sponsor, he didn't just say, Oh, that's so great. Thank you. And showed up and gave me a nice gift like on confirmation day. In addition to the classes that we were taking at our parish, he would also meet with me once a month separately, and we had our own book that we went through. And 
his gift to me on confirmation day was this like wooden stool that he built in his shop. Oh, that's awesome. And it was three. You had me at wooden. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Cause you love the shop. So, uh, and it was, it was, uh, it had three legs on it. It was supposed to represent the Trinity. And then he had like a plaque that he had put on the bottom of it that had the gifts of the Holy spirit. Like, like oh, went awesome. way over the top. And like, I, when I think back on that, like he was a pilot for Delta. Like, I didn't even get a card. Yeah. Like he went, <laughs> he went above and beyond and he had no need to do that. Uh, he could have done yeah. the bare minimum, but because he did that, it changed my life and my experience of yeah. the faith and of community and loving my church and all those sorts of things. So uh, uh, that's that's what we need convicting. more of. Yeah, if you, oh boy, that's if convicting. someone asks you to be their sponsor, I'm, or I'm a good sponsor right now, and I'm terrible. Yeah, I'm I've, like, I've, okay. I haven't been that good. I've been I'm a sponsor so a few times, and I haven't been that good at it. And uh, and but I think back, and I'm like, man, I need to model that. Maybe it comes with a little bit more maturity. Jay is saying that he's been a sponsor before, and he's phenomenal. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, you were. Oh, I was. That's right. Was I was. Wife's that's sponsor. right. I was Jay's wife's sponsor for confirmation. Oh, it was a couple weeks ago, right? No. Oh. Uh, I mean, actually, you know what? And and. I don't know if she remembers this, but she was one of the one of the people when I've been asked to be a sponsor where we actually did do some additional things. Mm-hmm. Because when she asked me, I'm like, uh, a girl is asking me. I don't know. Like, you know, I'm thinking back <laughs> to like, girl stuff. I don't understand. Ah. I don't know what to do. Yeah. So instead, we went through the the ten uh, virtues of Mary. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that was what we did. So. Um, I don't really remember what they are, but I hope she does. So <laughs> uh, we're talking uh, humility. We're talking purity. We're yeah. talking love. I don't know. Anything. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> look them up, Google them. But uh, anyways, yeah. We've no, that's beautiful. That's be- investing in people. Yeah. How can I invest in people? Everyone like listening. I know this is an incredibly difficult time, and often the answers that you're getting from us in the church, the answers that you're getting is not yet, not yet. We don't know. Uncertainty. We're nervous. You know, like. I want to have people back here now. I miss you guys. I want you all here with us. And it's so hard. I mean, do you remember there was a time when we thought in the first or second week of Easter or uh, April, we would be back, at least in a limited capacity. And it so broke my heart. But here's the deal. You, it's not your job to fill everyone's cup. Right? It's not your job to be the savior, to be the one person. that that. It's not your job to save people, right? But it is your job and my job to empty out our cups into other people's lives, right? It's not our job to make sure they're, they're full, but it is our job to make sure that, like Christ, we empty ourselves serving others. So we must fill ourselves first with Christ. First with Christ, and then we give our life, just like Christ did. For the his sacraments sake, are still available. Though he was rich, for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Not rich in cash money, but rich in grace. And that grace is communicative, meaning it wants community. It's diffusive. It wants to go out, and it wants to multiply. When the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies— then and only then can it yield 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so I guess what we're trying to end with is, is a message of hope that, you know, books like this maybe were written in a pre quarantine time, but we can begin to adapt community models. Our food pantry has never shut down. In fact, we serve more people than we ever have. Our, uh, the sacraments have never stopped, right? We keep going because we believe that the grace of Jesus Christ is bigger than the coronavirus. But yeah, we do have to take measures to safeguard people's lives and all this stuff, but that doesn't mean the church dies. Remember, the tension is between the building and the people. It's not one or the other. It's both. 
So we'll keep the sacraments alive in this sacred place set apart for the holy liturgy. As long as we, on the outside, us lay people, not only come and receive the grace when we feel like it's safe or whatever, but that we enkindle the church in our homes, that they become and neighborhoods. Yeah, that they become a true outpost for the kingdom of God, that the kingdom can launch even further its front lines into enemy territory. You got it, man. Uh, shout out to Captain Lance Shortman, my confirmation sponsor. Hope you're doing well, buddy. Enjoying retirement up in Kentucky. That's all I got today, man. Wow, you ended it on a high note. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to recommend Book of the Week. I'm going to recommend Building the Benedict Option. I think we're going to try to adjust some of the formats, and I'm going to start off by just saying this is a book that I promise I will read uh, this week. If you all hop on the horn and read it with me, shoot me an email, mgormley at ap.church. That's mgormley at ap.church. And tell me if you're going to read it. It's available on Kindle as well. Also, shout out to St. Anne's in Capel, Texas, up outside the Dallas area. They started a parish podcast this week. Oh, that's right. Is that they're, the one with the cartoon? Yeah, yeah, album yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That you're jealous this, of? There's so this called uh, the priest, so the priest and the prodigal. Yeah. Um, and the prodigal, I think, is Joey Scansella, who's the youth minister up there. Oh, who, good old Joey. Yeah, we were household brothers at Franciscan, and then they're a parochial vicar, I believe. So, I don't know. I can't remember the priest's well, name. Kind of shocked that you claimed that household. But anywho, thank you all for I listening. Didn't, I didn't say it by name. <laughs> Didn't say it by name. All right. We were rivals. Thanks, guys, for listening. And uh, we're praying for you guys. And we're going to get through this. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, so stay rooted in prayer. Yeah. And uh, I recommend, again, Building the Benedict Option by Leah Labresco. God bless you all. Stay classy. M. Gormley at AP.Church if you're going to read that book with me. Bam. Sadness. June, come back. June. No. <laughs> Goodbye, June. Yeah, I do. Horrible, horrible partner. (laughs) Yeah, it turns out not a good life partner. (laughs) (laughs) We're done. (laughs)